Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast on spiritual direction and spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. Thank you for listening. Learn more about our work and the work of spiritual direction and spiritual companionship on our website, sdicompanions.org. Recently, SDI hosted a free webinar session with Carmen Acevedo Butcher, internationally acclaimed speaker, author, educator, and poet. Carmen's focus and practice includes early modern French, German, Latin, Middle English, and Old English mystic writers, including Brother Lawrence, Hildegard of Bingen, The Cloud of Unknowing, Julian of Norwich, and others. This episode features the audio of that webinar, but you can watch on our website, sdicompanions.org. SDI is beginning a four-part series hosted by Carmen Acevedo Butcher on two of these mystics, Brother Lawrence and the Cloud of Unknowing. The live sessions begin April 5th, 2023, but you can join anytime and all sessions are recorded so you can watch at your own convenience. You can learn more and register for this incredible webinar series on our website, sdicompanions.org. So welcome everyone. I am Amritam Babu and I'm the Marketing and Communities Manager here at SDI. Today, uh, we have this amazing preview session of our upcoming webinar series, Annoying for Spiritual Companions, from Anonymous to Brother Lawrence and Beyond, with Dr. Carmen Acevedo Butcher, who is here with us today, along with Reverend Seifu, who is our executive director. So I'll give a brief intro uh, for Dr. Carmen. Uh, she is an internationally acclaimed speaker, author, educator, and a poet. An award-winning translator, she has made accessible works of early modern French, German, Latin, Middle English, and All English by writers, including the 17th century friar, Brother Lawrence, Hildegard of Bingen, and several acclaimed um, uh, spiritual leaders. Carmen's translation of Cloud of Unknowing won an Author of the Year Award from the Georgia Writers Association in 2010. Her 10th book, Practice of the Presence, is a revolutionary translation of the wisdom of Brother Lawrence. And it's now out from uh, Broadleaf Books. So really excited to have you here with us today and really looking forward to the webinar series. We have received great interest from our community and members. I will hand it over to you to do, take us to a session. Thank you so much, Amrutham, and thank you, Reverend Seifu. It's such a delight to be here with this very special community of seekers and kind people uh, really wanting to contribute to the common good. So one of the things I thought we could start with is a bit of joy, because at the heart of contemplation is always joy. And I don't know about you, but it's one of the reasons that I do contemplate is to find that well of joy. So I'm going to start this out very appropriately, just as Amrutham said, with the cloud of unknowing and anonymous and the prayer that opens the book. So one of the reasons I want to start with it is because I've sung it over the years. It's a, a song that just came about as I was saying it to myself because um, I deal with anxiety. And so one of the ways that I do that is with 
Lectio Divina, steeping in scripture and other wise, you know, spiritual writings. So first I'm going to sing it to you. So you get to just listen at the beginning. So I'll sing it to you in the Middle English. And then I'll read it to you in the translation. But I want you just to feel it and hear it first. And then we'll pause at the end because Seifu and I would really like this to be for you an, an oasis of calm in your day. Um, very nourishing uh, few minutes. And then I'll ask you to do something that I learned in my childhood, which is Psalm 4610. And we'll really say it together very meaningfully. Be still and know that I am God. And then we'll take off one word until we come up to be. So be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I be still and know that be still and know be still and be still be. So we'll end with that. So we're going to start with singing. This is the opening of the cloud of unknowing. God, unto whom alle herte span open, and unto whom alle willa speaketh, and unto whom no privy thing is hid. He besageth a so for to cleanse the untent of mean heart with the unspeakable gift of the grassa. That he may perfect lich love a thay, and were the lich praise a thay, amen. One of the things I love about that is you get to pay attention to your breathing when you sing it. And it's like this in our English. God, to you all hearts are open, to you all longings speak, and to you no secret thing is hidden. I beg you, purify the intentions of my heart through the unspeakable gift of your grace, so I can love you with all I am and praise you for all you are. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I be still and know that be still and know be still be Really, I'm glad you're all here with us today. Thank you, Carmen. Thank you, and and welcome to everyone. Um, so, Carmen, I, I I'm not as an accomplished translator as you, but I am a translator, and we've talked about um, words and how they matter and how. Um, Poor translations can throw people off the path in very, very significant ways and actually completely 180 degree turn from what the author probably originally intended. So I want to start with 
Um, and we're going to talk about broader Lawrence as well, but let's start with the cloud of unknowing and let's start with unknowing and the concept of unknowing and particularly as seen through your understanding of the original um, written text and your translation of it, right? So, um, and there's this paradox, of course, in this work, because I'm saying that words matter, and yet um, in the context of the cloud of unknowing, words are kind of are an obstacle as well. And so, so, so walk us through, if you might, through what Anonymous meant when he said unknowing and the cloud of unknowing, which I think, you know, sometimes is kind of rendered romantically and is actually a kind of darkness that we have to get through, right? So, so, so tell, tell us what you, tell us more about unknowing and from your, from your vantage point um, with the source material and with your translation. Wow, that is such a beautiful question that has a lot of meat to it just in the question. So I think if Anonymous were here, he would want us all to look on his Cloud of Unknowing book as a practical teaching guide. So he wouldn't really want us too much to um, feel stressed out over intellectualizing about it. And so I think he would see it as rooted in Lexio Divina is the first thing he he would just he would because he says one of the things beginners really need to do with contemplation is sink into steeping into scriptures or other spiritual writings. So the other thing I would say we would want to do is what does he say about it? Uh, so not even secondhand from Carmen. And he says here, the first time you practice contemplation, you'll only experience a darkness like a cloud of unknowing. And I love it in the Middle English. It's unknowing. So you have to say the K. And I don't know, somehow that just has more, more meat to it when you think of it's unknowing for unknowing. So the first time you practice contemplation, you'll only experience a darkness like a cloud of unknowing. You won't know what this is. And most of us human beings like certainty and knowing things, right? That's me. Then he says, you'll only know that in your will, you feel a simple reaching out to God. And his word here often is intention. So this like stretching towards love or God, this longing, this yearning. So he would really say that this unknowing is longing and yearning for love, for God, for however anyone describes mystery. And then he says, you must also know that this darkness and this cloud will always be between you and your God, whatever you do. They will always keep you from seeing him clearly by the light of understanding in your intellect and will block you from feeling him fully in the sweetness of love in your emotions. So be sure you make your home in this darkness. So he's kind of doing the opposite of what we're used to doing with SAT tests and trying to make A's where we're always trying to meet the grade, you know, check the box. And he's telling us to make ourselves at home in this yearning that we have for something we cannot even put into words. And then he spends his entire book in very practical down-to-earth ways, the way William Minninger talks about it. He said when he found this dusty old medieval book in the, in the monastery, 
a library, he was really taken by the fact that this is a practical spiritual guide. And that's what appeals to me about it, too, is that this unknowing really is not us sitting here and figuring it out, but us practicing Lexio, steeping in words, and then also having these moments where we rest. So Lexio leads us to resting in God. So this cloud of unknowing is also resting in God or digesting the goodness, the love. It's all the good stuff. I mean, yeah. if the cloud of unknowing were uh, anonymous, were, I'll just say this one last thing, we're alive today. I think he would be using some of the terminology of the true self, the ground of our being, all the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's, um, you know, it's it, it's it's astonishing to me, really, that he enjoins us to spend as much time in that cloud, in that darkness, um, with our longing for God as needed. And it sounds the way he describes it like it could be a really, really long time. And... Um, you know, almost as if he's inviting us to make our home in the darkness because it is the necessary doorway to a more intimate union with God. Do you, would you agree with that? Yes, ab absolutely. I would agree with that. He's asking us, and we have to think about the whole, like we don't want to uproot contemplation and just say we're just supposed to sit here and enter this darkness just... Um, <laughs> We have to think he's writing to, and I always wonder if he were writing to maybe Julianne of Norwich, but he's writing to someone who has dedicated their lives to the church. And so they have all day long to meditate in the scripture, to participate in different worship services where they're hearing the Psalms and singing the Psalms. And so he has a lot of assumptions about this person he's writing to. They will be doing this divine reading, this steeping in scripture and other writings like say mm -hmm. Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross. So one of the things I do want to talk about is how um, even though he does say later when you become more um, experienced at contemplation, you may just need your word to enter into this cloud of darkness, this unknowing. But it really is based on eating really and truly it's like and you know from translating it's really translating as the most intimate form of reading is like eating words and so it's really based on feeding ourselves you know not on doom scrolling <laughs> which i know i can tend to do sometimes but it's based on feeding ourselves with these really good words from scripture from spiritual spiritually wise people yes sure. Um, you, you know, I think there's so explained, and I want to talk about why unknowing is such a, an important um, modality for spiritual directors and spiritual companions next, but I'm just trying to establish a little bit of kind of reference terms here. You know, he has the this, this passage where he speaks about God and says, God can be loved, but not thought, right? And um, yeah, by love can be grasped, can be apprehended, but not by thought. And but here you are, you've already said it two or three times that lection, you know, that this Lectio Divina is really kind of a key to to progressing to that. So how how do you explain 
or what, how would you explain him explaining or how would he explain that paradox? Yeah, that's a really good question because he does spend some time on talking about Lexio Divina. And that reminds me of how Bede says we are an animal ruminando. So Bede says we are ruminating animals and ruminate. We, we forget this. We think we're ruminating over something and being very intellectual about it, but ruminate really means to chew the cud. So when Bede says we're animal ruminando, I think he would say, like Jesus says, uh, you know, you don't just live off of bread alone, but from every word that comes out of the mouth of love or God or the mystery. And so it reminds me of my dog, Smokey, that I had when I was a child. We used to buy these rawhide bones. I know they're a bit dangerous now, uh, so you have to be careful. But he was a little puppy and he wanted to chew everything. And we gave him this rawhide bone and let him chew on it for 30 minutes for his teeth. But also I read it's good for his brain. And so then I would need to take the bone away from him. And Smokey, I can still smell Smokey in my mind. Uh, you know, I'm still in love with Smokey all these years on. And um, when you tried to, he was a sweet, sweet puppy. But when you tried to take that rawhide bone from him, he would really growl. <laughs> and I've never forgotten this. So in the, in the Hebrew Bible, in various places in the wisdom literature there, there's this wonderful verb, haga, so H-A-G-A-H, for to meditate, and it's the roar of what a lion does before they tear into their, uh, you know, supper, and then there'll be gnawing of the bones, and so I really want to bring us back to, because often, uh, People ask me questions of like contemplation, no matter what I do, it seems a bit abstract. I'm trying to figure it out. And so the real irony, or as you said, the paradox is that it's doing, it's gnawing on the scripture, like be still and know that I am God. Mm -hmm. And then we digest. And then that's the spring. And then the stream. So that's the spring welling up in us that we participate in. And then the stream going out from us is love for others. So it's that eating and that um, turning away from like, you can't know God. I mean, it's a really, when you really stop and think about it, of course you can't. I mean, you know, this is like a, a mis the mystery and love. Even if I tried to explain my love for my husband, I can't even do that. I mean, it's just so mysterious and full of awe for me, something I'll never know intellectually quite. So yeah, definitely he would, he would want us to let go of this because the other thing is, I mean, it's like in any good counseling session too, um, or in a spiritual direction, as long as I'm trying to control things with my mind and my intellect and just have everything in a neat little line. I mean, really, and truly, uh, life doesn't line up like that. <laughs> Life has its own algorithms. Uh, life happens as it does. And no matter how much I try to control it, really the best way to know love is to be receptive to the mystery, right? So I have to give over my, my desire to control and, and sink into this not knowing, which <clears throat> I can honestly say, I think it really comes to us naturally when we still ourselves. It's not really something, I mean, if we want to do it and we still ourselves, it will come because it's a gift. So I think we're used to trying very hard 
um, and not being still and just letting things happen also. Yeah, yeah, thank you for that. I, and, and especially for that image of, you know, I'm constantly translating also, translating what you're saying and, and uh, to myself and, and hopefully I'm getting it right. And, but you can correct me if I don't. But I love that image of contemplation as gnawing on the bones and as a very active engagement with the essence. You know, I won't, I won't call it the meat because I don't want to get too carnivorous in our analogies here, but, but uh, really kind of chewing the divine cud, if you will, right? Uh, really, really working it, not just a quiet activity, you know, sitting on the floor and, and you know, blissfully um, engaging or some kind of samadhi, but really working it, really working it. And to get into that space where we can be open and vulnerable and loving. I mean, the, the connection you just made between contemplation is knowing on the bones and then the outcome being this, this expression of love. And so, so let, me, let me park that for a second and say, um, from your perspective and, and knowing the anonymous and, and Brother Lawrence as well as spiritual companions themselves, as spiritual directors themselves, how would you, how do you bring them into the picture, right? I mean, the, the, the books that they've written and the writings they've left for us are a form of beautiful spiritual companionship that has lasted hundreds and hundreds of years. So, so talk to us, tell us a little bit about uh, unknowing and the representation of unknowing in written words as a form of spiritual companionship? That's really a good question, <clears throat> or rather prompt, because what I love about these two books and then thinking about spiritual direction or spiritual companions mm -hmm. is that, first of all, I mean, in, in my work as a teacher and other things that I do, spiritual companioning, but even just in my work as a teacher, if I don't take care of myself, then I might be too tied to the results or just askew. And so the very first thing it does is it, these two books, uh, Practice of the Presence, which as you and I were talking the other day is kind of like contemplation to go. And then uh, The Cloud of Unknowing, I think you added was like a la carte contemplation. And so they give us, I mean, we treat these as sometimes we treat these as kind of like elite documents. Uh, they're instruction manuals. They're like telling us when the rubber hits the road, this is what you do and this works. And what I love about them both also, first of all, they help us take care of ourselves. And both um, Brother Lawrence and Anonymous are always saying to other people who come to them, for advice and just how do you do it and what works for you they say this is what works for me this is these are some of my strategies try them out if they work for you good keep doing them but then try other things that come up for you as you're doing the Lexio Divina like steeping in like be still and know that I am God and um, we can talk about that sometime about this the quote steps which I use very advisedly very uh, in quotes uh, but one of the things I think too is developing that trust in the unknown 
Because I think when we come alongside each other, we really, uh, at least I know for me, I really need to be open to the fact that the mystery is, is, is surrounding us. And I'm not the one who needs to make sure everything happens just right, whatever that might be. I need to be open to really listening, like making a space in me to really listen to the other person. And if we carry it forward with the word companion, which I, I really like, the word calm with and pan is bread. And so we have another eating image of if we're companions, we're people who eat bread together, which could be um, in many cases, Lexio Divina, uh, out of which comes the digestion of uh, contemplation. But I think there's a lot to unpack with that question, which we can look at even more in the different workshops. But one of the things I think, first of all, is taking care of taking care of ourselves and really um, sort of attuning the um, different things inside of us that we all have, uh, ways that we want to express our joy better, uh, ways we want to integrate our own um, healing and to live it out more, for it to be realized. So realizing ourselves and contemplation. This is what Anonymous says. I mean, he doesn't promise anything that I haven't experienced. And I know those here in, in the room too. He says, contemplation is healing. It will transform you. It does transform you. And um, I can honestly say uh, for me, like I sang that opening prayer at the beginning, that's not something I've memorized. It's something I've, I've eaten, I've chewed on, I've savored. And it eventually became a song and it eventually became part of my marrow. So we're really talking about something very different from what, you know, going in and taking a test at school. It's very, very embodied, very embodied approach. Both of us coming alongside each other and also in taking care of ourselves in these very concrete ways. And, and I will add this one thing. When I grew up really in the very rural parts of Georgia and Alabama, and I was born in Florida and meditation for us was something, wow, Christians did not do, which is really odd because it was the path for the first 15 centuries of the church. That was the path. Mm -hmm. uh, we can look into that. But um, and and my image growing up of meditation was just sitting on a cushion and you had, had to have a certain posture. Exactly. So but what happened to me was my meditation very seriously started as a kid out walking and then as a teenager out walking and sometimes having Bible verses with me and meditation before I even really knew what I was doing happened. And later I had to figure out what was that? <laughs> so it's a gift and, and just needs yeah. doing really. Yeah. Beautiful. So, so, you know, uh, the same as keeps coming back to me, knowing all the bones because our longing is so ardent that we keep chewing even when the meat is gone, right? And so I, I'm, I'm going to put a plug in and um, that that's what you're going to be doing for us with your webinar series this, uh, starting a couple of weeks. We're really going to get into in much more into um, understanding, trying to understand what these two authors were saying and beyond. Um, so I encourage everybody, and I, I know Amrutham has put a, a link in there, to if you want to do a deeper dive into this with 
with um, with Carmen um, is to sign up for that course. Um, I know we have some questions coming in, and I don't want to hog Goldot, although I have six or seven more already written. So, Amrutham, do you have the first question for Carmen? Yes, I do. So we have a question. Uh, words, knowledge, annoying, longing. Can the darkness be likened to surface tension around a drop of water? My longing is to experience bringing the drop in the ocean and simultaneously the ocean in this drop. Is surface tension the cloud of annoying that interface or tidal zone between what I long for and what longs for me? I to love that. I, who said that? Does it have a name? Or Yin Me. Oh, thank you so much because that is absolutely beautiful. I love, I would just say yes. I love the way you're talking about the liminal space and the tension on the edge of the drop and how you want to be just also both fully yourself, the drop, and also fully a part of the ocean. I would say in my experience and in the ways that Brother Lawrence and also Anonymous teaches it, that's exactly so. And it's not an elite experience. It is a human experience. It's not, um, it's one of the things that I would very gently um, discuss with Anonymous because he says, you know, try out contemplation and see if it works for you. You may be called to it, but you have to think he was living in a different day. People were, he was talking to people mostly in the church. Uh, I really think, and if you read, you know, some of my friends and wonderful writers like Mirabai Star and others, I mean, really and truly, we are made for contemplation. We are contemplators. We, we all are. And so eating good food and I think now more than ever in the world of the cell phones and our screens and, and other you know, stresses, we definitely want to be in that liminal space. You describe it beautifully. And it's interesting that you use, it's like my smoky uh, story. I love that you're using this very down to earth image because Anonymous and Brother Lawrence, they use down to earth images in, at every step. They, they don't intellectualize things, although they're both brilliant. They bring in these wonderful down-to-earth images. So I would just say, yes, absolutely. That's a great analogy. Uh, thank you. And while we wait for more questions, I'm going to slip one in. It seems to be an afternoon, an evening, or morning, depending on where everyone is, of food analogies. And <laughs> so I was going to ask you to speak a little bit about Brother Lawrence. And the image that came to me was of a crusty French baguette, you know, um, very tasty, but rough in its texture and available to all the food of the masses. Right. And I wondered if that was if you'd considered that an apt analogy for food analogy, since we're using those today for Brother Lawrence. That's beautiful. I wish you had told me this earlier. I would have put it in the book uh, with the footnote to say food, because that is absolutely brilliant. Yes, because they talk about um, his friends, Joseph of Beaufort and also Francois Fenelon, who were real sort of educated churchmen. They talk about 17th century brother Lawrence. He was part of the 98% of people who did not have access to an education. So he was definitely not privileged and he joined the army and went to the 30 years war. And at the same time he came through this, he started doing 
the contemplation. Uh, he was very influenced by Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross. And he had a 10-year dark night of the soul when he finally figured out to join the monastery, the Discalced Carmelites. And for 10 years, because often, uh, you know, friends and others uh, come to me and say, I'm just in such a dark spot with contemplation. And I always think of Brother Lawrence. He and some of my own experiences, he had 10 years of practicing the presence of doing Lexio Divina, digesting sacred words and um, other, you know, like John of the Cross and others. And he had nothing. <laughs> he, he had no abating of any of his stresses or anything. He just had 10 years of when he thought he was going to hell. So what resulted from that was just your great analogy. He ended up being his theology and his life experience. After that 10 years, he had 40 years of pretty much unbroken peace and calm and joy, what he called indescribable joy. And he sounds like Barbara Holmes to me there. They're very similar. And he became his way of looking at things very much sought out by the educated and others. And he did have this crusty outside because he, even Joseph of Beaufort wants to, wants to come see him at the monastery and says, uh, can I come, you know, learn from you? And Brother Lawrence says in his, as you would say, crusty way, says, well, now, if you were genuine about wanting to learn about this prayer, you can come anytime. But if you're not genuine, just don't bother. <laughs> so he's very, you know, he's very plain. He's like in the South, we don't talk like that. You know, I've had to learn, you know, in, you know, being married and such, you know, you learn to like try to explain things more plainly. But Brother Lawrence just put it out there very plainly often. He was very down to earth. He reminds me a little bit of Father Greg Boyle. He's very plain spoken and very sincere. And in that is that, like you said, that bread, that very unit, he offers us this very universal, accessible bread um, in his teachings about God is love because he really presents, Brother Lawrence does, God as friend, God as lover, God as mother. He's very like Julianne of Norwich. Anybody who loves Julianne will love Brother Lawrence. In fact, he uses the word love in French in his writings even more than she does. He's very, he's the friar of Amour. It's all about love. Amour, so that's Amour. a great analogy, Seifu. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, so, so Brother Lawrence, because I know this is, this is a more recent book for you. And, and um, you know, the, the, the beauty of, of you as a translator, interpreter, is the intimacy that you build between um, that you help build between us, the readers, and um, Anonymous, and in this case, Brother Lawrence. And so, um, this this is going to seem like a slightly off the wall question, but um, you know, can you share some intimacies um, about Brother Lawrence? It's some seemingly um, random unusual quirks of his. Can you help bring him into this Zoom room with us? Um, what, what would he have been like? What, I mean, you already described his crusty manner, his uh, direct and blunt spoken, and yet very loving and very inviting in its own way, in its own crusty way. 
form of spiritual direction, form of spiritual companionship. But tell us a little more about him, um, you know, some personal details, something, some personal insight that you might have had um, mm. when working with him. That is like a question of a translator to a translator. Yeah. And I love it. Nobody's ever asked that. I would say, first of all, he's authentic. What you see is what you get. And I don't know about you, but that is so refreshing for me. Secondly, one of the things I noticed when I spent time in his letters and his spiritual maxims, so those were written by him with a quill pen. And I noticed when he writes about his anxiety, he could be in the, he could be in the century with us. He writes about anxiety in a way that I think anyone could relate to. He talks about his emotions going from uh, up to down and just uh, the way he felt such severe anxiety um, after the war that he experienced where he was injured and limped. So, so there's that. The other thing that no, I've never had a chance to talk about before is that he writes really long sentences. So we often think of Brother Lawrence as this kind of like um, savant. So isn't he, he almost gets like patted on the head a bit by these educated people who are actually really kind, but still a bit, you know, like, oh, he's so, he's so amazing for an uneducated person. Um, and he is very smart in the sense of his sentences can go on forever. I kept thinking of Faulkner, you know? And so I actually broke up some of his sentences because I don't think anyone would kind of want to, I mean, they're, they're beautiful in the French, but once you put them into English, all of a sudden you find yourself going, whoa, this, this is, so he's very mystical in the way he writes. He gets out of control. In fact, he says he ripped up some of his writings because they just didn't match uh, how he felt. So he was a very feeling person. And like you said, everybody said how loving he was. And when you spend time with him, he is so calm. And the other thing I will say is that he is a true mystic in that he is not dogmatic. So the words that he uses for um, when we harm others, I mean, it, it, they're very beautiful. He talks about us stumbling, which for somebody who is limping is a very, he uses the verb tomber which is where our tumble comes from. He says, we, we tumble, we stumble. We aim for one thing and, and then don't accomplish it. But he says, we can always return to God, to love, and we can work on doing better, you know, with that forgiveness. And he brings these wonderful analogies. He's, he's very, the other thing is you get into his writing, Seifu, and his analogies are just absolutely wonderful prayer as suckling on the breast and tasting the sweet milk uh, as the baby does on the wet nurse. And he says, when we stumble and we come to love or God or the mystery, we find instead of being recriminated against, we are invited to sit down at the table and kind of like the George Herbert poem, love, then God serves us. So it's all good. It's all this acceptance. It's like this, the greatest news ever that Brother Lawrence writes about. He says, you know, I messed up. He says, I have horror looking at some of the things that I did and experienced. He said, but by practicing the presence and returning to love, he found peace. Wow, that's, that's definitely 
somebody I want to hang out with. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Um, it looks like we have a couple more questions that have come in. So I'm going to turn it back to Amrutham for you, Carmen. So the next question is, can you share your thoughts on ways to companion a person who is in a time of annoying and not interpret it for the person? Yeah, that's a very good question. Well, first I want to say, since our world doesn't give awards for this too much, how much, I think, first of all, it just means to that person that they're being listened to. So the fact that you're making a space for them to share this uncertainty, the human condition of impermanence and not knowing, the fact that you're making a space for that person and companioning them, coming alongside, to me, that's worth so much. That's worth indescribably much. Uh, I know many times in my life, I'm sure we could all say this, where somebody coming alongside me has meant the world. So first listening and um, asking questions and listening. And then as they share, I also do the thing of saying many prayers, like M-I-N-I, many, many prayers, M-A-N-Y too, um, of like, so what now? <laughs> it's one of my favorite prayers, like, you know, what, what now? As I'm listening, like, because I try very hard not to fill the space preemptively, like not to just jump in there, um, you know, to quote, fix things and such, which is a very human uh, characteristic. And then I, I really do practice the presence prayer of like, what should I do now? And then listening and following with that. Um, and often what I find is if someone can be directed back to whatever means the most for them. So to, to encourage someone to, to practice some form of this kind of meditation, this kind of unknowing in whatever way means the most to them and um, giving them resources for that and encouraging them in, first of all, holding a mirror up and saying, wow, you're doing this and that's really good. And then encouraging them in um, anything else that may come up that you feel led to, to share about. But, but I want, first of all, to say just being present with someone. I think, um, you know, we, we don't look at the word presence very much, but practice, practice of the presence with Brother Lawrence, I mean, the word presence has that Spanish word, you know, estoy, estás, estás, estamos, estáis, están. It has that S in it for to exist. And the pre part means before. So presence literally means to be with someone in front of them. And I, I just think if we could pause and consider how meaningful it is just that also and lean into the mystery of that companioning um, and then, and then go from there really, and sort of rest in the um, certainty that the mystery is love. Wow, that's, that's wonderful. 
Dr. Carmen, I have a question, you know, like I'm really new to uh, Anonymous and Brother Lawrence. So I would like to know, uh, has Anonymous spoken about struggling to connect with unitive consciousness? Yes. So like, did he have troubles sometimes with with contemplation and such? Is that what you mean? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Did he have troubles connecting with unitive consciousness? He absolutely did. I mean, he says one of the things he does say is that at the beginning, you really want to practice Lexio Divina. He, he really takes that as kind of like entry level, like, you know, how in colleges you have uh, prerequisites to take other classes, like you can't really take some sort of high level math until you've taken I don't know, algebra. So he would say that Lexio Divina is like the algebra, right, of the contemplation, which might be. And he would definitely say um, at the beginning, part of the darkness is, yeah, the mystery, but also part of the darkness is the frustration, you know, of like, what's happening? Is anything happening? And just like Brother Lawrence, he says, sometimes you may feel nothing is happening. But also like John of the Cross, they all will talk about, you know, it's happening. <laughs> it's they all talk about they all talk about how, yes, they had these experiences where it felt like nothing was happening. And it was. And I share in that uh, because uh, for me, many, many years for me was was similar with that. Um, and in fact, contemplation for me eventually led me to therapy, which was very helpful in so many ways. But so here's Amrutham where they kind of get uh, paradoxical because they also say it is kind of like Richard Rohr. He says it's that easy and that hard. They also say, though, if you want to experience this unitive consciousness, this this contemplation, then if you want it, you will. They say it's the easiest thing. <laughs> they say it's the easiest thing. Just try it. So that's so there's what they're saying. And this is my own experience that if we have this impetus and we really want, we really want it, we feel some deep yearning for healing. Uh, there's some way that life has blown a, a real like hole in our lives, or we have some deep grief or something with our own lives we're trying to heal. Um, they'll say, if you want it, or if there's a way you want to learn to express your joy, uh, as long as you want it, it will it will happen, and here are some steps to follow. But yes, they all say often, it's, you'll find it frustrating sometimes. And the main thing, though, that they point out is that it's like developing a habit. And I always think, and my friend Paul Swanson talks about this. He says he wants contemplation to seem as regular as brushing your teeth. And I told him, for me, it's flossing your teeth. So at first, when I started flossing my teeth, it was like, oh, I get in bed and think I haven't flossed my teeth. So you have to get up. And then it gets to the point where you never get in bed because you've always flossed your teeth because it's a good habit. So part of what they say is it's um, hard, especially at times in the beginning. Um, but it can also be that hard later sometimes, too. But they do want, want us to remember it's a habit. Brother Lawrence says you'll grow accustomed to it. And that's what Teresa of Avila says, you'll get accustomed to it. So it's like any good habit. The more we do it, uh, the easier it gets. And then even if life throws us for a loop, we, we still we have that habit to kind of reinvigorate in a new way.
But yeah, absolutely. They do not, they're not sitting there just doing ohms and just looking perfect. They're, they're all, they're all saying, I'm Rutham. Yeah. Sometimes that, it's frustrating. <laughs> no, but that's so amazing because uh, to some extent we expect all those spiritual leaders and mystics to be like, oh, all perfect, all knowing and not experience what normal is. Right. Um, so we have another question from Stephen. Uh, I wanted to ask about your choice to use third person pronouns for the divine. I found it very freeing and loving. Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. Well, it's complicated because I didn't really set out to do that. And thank you for saying that it was freeing. I'm glad to hear that. Um, I first set out to do a very, and I know Seifu will understand this. I set out to do a very accurate, faithful translation. Because when somebody, uh, my editor said, you could, what about this person, this person? And then at the end, she said, or Brother Lawrence. And something just tugged at me. And I thought, oh, this is that feeling I had with cloud. <laughs> I had a tug. I can't explain the tug. It's a tug of unknowing. That's what it was, a tug of unknowing. And so the very first thing is I get all the dictionaries and all the history books. And I just want it to be accurate and um, faithful because it really feels like somebody's given you a child to mind almost like you really want to take care of this child and, and make sure they're healthy and well, and, you know, all is good. And then I have my own history, right. With God and pronouns and such so that I was raised in the uh, evangelical Southern Baptist church, which actually had some good things about uh, dealing with like, eating Bible verses and such, but on the other hand, had some really sort of misogynistic uh, things that I didn't feel comfortable with or included by. And so, and then I also had some childhood trauma. And so God is he, the way Roberta Bondi talks about it at Emory Candler School of Theology, God is he was difficult for me, but I tried because I thought, come on, psychologically, let's work with this. But then I realized one day, it's just hard for me. <laughs> and then the other thing is, I'm a woman. And so I find it very, um, I just don't feel included with God as he. I just, I'm just going to tell you on a down to earth level. It's just like, where do I fit in that? Um, yay for all the men, but where do I fit in kind of? Uh, so then I spent some time thinking of God as she. I met Julianne of Norwich. She blew my socks off. Um, but then I started teaching at Berkeley and I met so many students who would say to me, my pronouns are they, them. And so I'm like, I'm a teacher. So whatever makes a student feel comfortable, I'm on board with that, you know? And so being of the, uh, let me say young boomer generation, I worked on using they for my students who went. And so we, we all, you know, I came to learn lots of things. So then I, I met with my editor and told her I've, I've translated the cloud of unknowing. I mean, starts, pardon me, the practice of the presence by brother Lawrence. I've translated it, but I just couldn't figure out what to do about the pronouns. Like Richard Rohr sometimes will use God and try to avoid pronouns. I like that approach, but when you're doing a whole book, it's really hard to avoid pronouns and mirror by star is amazing. And she'll sometimes use he on one page for God and she on another and do different things. So everybody's kind of grappling with this pronoun um, issue. So I just told my editor, you know, I tried doing it without pronouns. It didn't work. 
Uh, so, oh, well, you know, oh, well, you know, we're and, and Brother Lawrence does use he, but his, his theology is beyond the binary. It's very Trinitarian, embodied, so God as parent, son, and Holy Spirit. So I went to sleep after I met with my editor, and I woke up the next morning. It was during the summer of the pandemic, and I came to the computer, and I hadn't even thought about it. You know how sometimes you wake up in the morning, and you have a thought, and you know your, your, your librarian of, of sleep has been doing some searching for you in your unconscious and I woke up and went to the computer to work at four and there was they, I can't explain it. Um, and I thought that works. Now I'm not saying everybody should use they, I'm just saying this is what came to me for this book. And I thought that that's it. But then I thought as a translator, it gave me for just a moment, I wasn't ungrateful, but I had this moment of talking to the spirit and saying, really? <laughs> because even though I think it works, you can't just do a global search and replace for, you know, uh, because it's complicated pronouns. Uh, and so I was really thankful because I thought, number one, it, I feel more included in it as a, as a woman. I think also my students will feel more included because I now start, once I started working at Berkeley, I started translating for my students age and on down too, not just for people above me, you know, in my forties, I, I translated from my age and above. Uh, but once you get to, you know, be a little bit older, you start thinking, who I'm not translating for 120 year olds. <laughs> you know, so, and and then I did it also because of the Trinitarian aspect of Brother Lawrence. And I'll be honest with you, people have had a sim a lot of people have had that similar response of saying it feels freeing. So I'm really I'm really grateful. That's a great question. Thank you for it. All right, Carmen. Well, I have. Was probably going to be the last question here. Okay, it's almost our time, um, and this is another translator question. You know, I, I um, English is my is my third language, and my fourth Amazing. language is French. And so, you know, I, I remember learning, you know, recognizing English French words in English, right? And so, and one that just came to me as I was thinking about the, this session with you today was surrendre, surrendre, surrender, right? In, in English, which is, comes from the word to, to give up, to give in, to, you know, to stop. Um, I think to give in is probably, probably, you know, I, I have a, a picture of, you know, someone putting a sword down and, and surrendering or surrendering the battle. And I think that notion of surrender or sahab is so central to what both Anonymous and Brother Lawrence are talking about directly and indirectly with words and beyond the words, right? And so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that notion of surrender, sahab, that is embedded in both of their works. Oh, that's beautiful. And the way you worded that, Seifu. So yes. With the clouds of anonymous, he talks about different ways that we can look beyond thoughts, or we can just sink into them and give up and let go of thoughts. So he he really gives us practical tips, and he even personifies thoughts. So he pictures thoughts as coming to us and talking to us like people would. It's really beautiful. We can look at that too in the workshops, and he has us choose a sacred word of one syllable 
And when the thoughts come that we bring that word in, everybody can pick their own word and we bring the word in and we let go of the thought because the word, the sacred word expresses our intention to let go and rest. And Brother Lawrence says something very similar in the fact that he says, whatever you're doing, return to love. So it's a, it's a in the moment sort of letting go of the small ego, whatever you're doing. For me, it can be things like before I open an email or before I come to this, you know, to see all the wonderful community here. Uh, but in any moment, washing dishes, Brother Lawrence would say, whatever you're doing, about to cook a meal, you just have this micro moment of returning to love, of sort of like letting go of whatever is there and returning to love. And so they definitely help us do this counterintuitive thing because, you know, it's a very human thing to want to grab hold of and to, and to, to be in control of and to hold on to when actually all the spiritual paths that are very wise and helpful have this component of letting go. Like you said, this surrender, that's this um, letting go of thoughts, because then it makes space for us to realize what's always been there. The love, the true self, the reality of self-compassion and love for others, which we don't get as long as we're holding on so tightly to things, to our small ego, our plans. And so I love this practice because it doesn't come naturally uh, at first, I think, but I think you eventually get like flossing your teeth. You're like, I could let that go. I could welcome this. I could let this go. And that's what they both teach is that time-honored tradition of, of the surrender, like you said. So that's a beautifully put. Great question. Thank you. Thank you. No, and I, I, you know, I, I love riffing on what you're saying. You, you inspire me, Carmen, uh, so thank you. But the, the whole notion of surrendering to love, right? To, um, you're not surrendering as in, in defeat. You're surrendering to victory in a way. <laughs> But victory not defined as, as you know, having dominated or subsumed someone under you, but, but having surrendered to something um, eternally loving, eternally present. So thank you. Thank you so yeah. much for this. And I, I saw, Carmen, I want to thank you, first of all, for making the time for this session and, and really sharing some of your wisdoms and, and, and insights and, and, uh, we hope motivating and inspiring the people who came here today and the people who are going to be watching this recording because we'll be sharing it with, with our members broadly. And so a reminder to all of you that Carmen Acevedo Butcher has a fantastic uh, four-part webinar series on the cloud of unknowing and Brother Lawrence coming starting in uh, the, the first week of April, um, I believe, and four, um, four sessions. And... Um, so we hope to see many of you there. And Carmen, I'll give you the last word if you want to say anything to, to our community before we conclude. Absolutely. Yeah. I hope everybody can join us because I love this community. I hope you'll bring your experiences and your questions because one of the most hopeful aspects to me about the Cloud of Unknowing and Brother Lawrence is that they take the material of our everyday lives, the joy the heartache, the challenges that we have, and they turn that into prayer. 
And that's, I think, very useful for us all. So thank you all for being here. And thank you for listening in, those of you who are listening in. Thank you, Seifu. Thank you, Amrutham. Thank you, Carmen. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. SDI is the home of spiritual companionship. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org.